0: And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode. I am so happy. <laughs> I'm happy uh, that you're here and joining me for another episode. I am happy to be moving on and away from politics for a bit. Um, how about that? Fucking miracles do happen. <sighs> Today's episode I'm super excited to bring you bringing you a conversation uh with a colleague of mine my friend Elaine Taylor Klaus and I met Elaine because we actually went through the same uh coaching training and certification program many 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 moons ago um and but I met Elaine when my son was first diagnosed with ADHD when he was about 6 and my son's diagnosis was pretty severe. And it was a living hell, to be perfectly honest, from about um, from the time he was about six through maybe like fifth grade. It was super, super, super hard. Um, in our world, um, I would have, I, so much, that's, I think, when my anxiety <laughs> really <laughs> kicked in and I would have anxiety attacks every day when I, just before pickup and sort of every, every afternoon after school with him felt like, felt like battle, felt like I was going into war and I was sort of arming myself for time with my child. And then you get the guilt and the, I mean, it was so awful. And at that time, my coach, Recommended that I get in touch with Elaine and I start sort of looking at her work. And I gotta tell you, it was a game changer for me. And good news for everybody. Elaine, uh, just wrote a book about this, about, you know, parenting a child with differences, neurological differences, all sorts of stuff. But ADHD is really her, um, specialty. And I gotta say, I'm, I'm just excited that, th- that more people get to have access to the help that she provided um, for me and, you know, certainly hundreds of other people um, over the years. Now she's written this book. So it's great. So we're having a conversation today. And, you know, one of the challenges that I really had was that uh, we were divorced. And, you know, one of the things they talk about with kids with uh, ADHD is, you know, consistency and routine and really sort of the predictability of day to day life, which you know, spoiler, we don't fucking get when we're divorced and I can't control, um, the routines that happen in the other house. And so, um, we're going to be talking today. We're having this conversation about how to deal with that, how to co-parent in separate households when dealing with, um, kids with ADHD and other neuro atypicalities. typicalities. <laughs> I'm just made up, made up that word, but you know what I mean? So, um, without further ado, I am super excited to bring you my conversation with Elaine Taylor-Klaus. Elaine, I am so excited to have this conversation with you and to have you on the Divorce Survival Guide podcast. Thank you for being here.
1: Uh, Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be having this conversation with you.
0: Yeah, me too. You know, full disclosure, I will say that you were, I want to tell everyone that you were so instrumental in my process going through when my son was first diagnosed. One of our mutual friends and colleagues sent me to you immediately and your work really, I mean, truly impacted (laughs) the way that I moved through my son's diagnosis and parenting him and everything that came after that so this is not just a for me this is not just a oh let's interview an expert on the podcast this is like I am so grateful to you and your work so I am so excited to promote this work and your book
1: well thank you I am really honored by that and as you know I we get into this work because we needed it ourselves and it wasn't there when we needed it so it's great to be able to make that available to other people and to know that it makes a difference. Yeah,
0: really does. It really does. So yay. So, oh my gosh, where to begin? I guess we're gonna start with like the diagnosis, right? You get and I and we are gonna talk about how this works with parenting across households, right? But I know that for me when my son was die, well when his kindergarten or first grade teacher came up to me and said, I think we might need to have Emmett evaluated.
1: <laughs> yeah. That's what I was going to say. It actually starts before the diagnosis, right? Yes,
0: it does start before the diagnosis. It does. Right? And I will tell you that my first reaction to that, and I know this is this is very different for most, for, for everybody. For me, my first reaction was, oh, thank God. Yeah. Oh, thank God. And I looked at her and I said, you mean this isn't normal? And she said, <laughs> No, honey, it's not. And I was like, oh, thank God, because I
1: thought I was going crazy. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) I I totally hear you. You know, when parents say my kid was just diagnosed, I usually say congratulations. And they go, what? Like, okay, because now you know what you're dealing with. And you can do something about it. But, you know, the reason I say it starts before diagnosis is because for most parents, like your son was diagnosed early. That it was. Mine too. Mine was still four at the first evaluation. So I get it, right? But so but for most parents, they've been living with this stress for years before they realize that there's a cause for it, that there's an underlying reason. And it creates friction in relationships. It causes a lot of divorce. Yes. And it's whether you have a diagnosis or not, if you got a kid who's struggling with some part of life or learning. Mm -hmm. It has this huge cascading impact on the whole family dynamic. And that usually goes on for years before you really discover what it is. Yeah. And especially, I think
0: if it's probably, I would say, in my experience, it was my only kid. You don't really know, right? Like this is your first time at the rodeo. You have no idea what's going on. If you have another kid who's neurotypical and there's no issues and it's easy, and then you get a kid like one of ours, then you're like early on, you're probably like, oh, there's something. Oh, right? <laughs> right. oh, right? oh I got this. Yeah. For me, this was my only kid. This is my first kid.
1: And I was like, huh? <laughs> no one talked about this. <laughs> Yeah, it, it's shocking because it, it's such a different framework when when nothing flows as you expect it to. And I do, I think you're absolutely right. I get a lot of parents who have an older kid who they get, this is, you know, I remember this one mom saying to me years ago, this is not my first rodeo, but there's something going on with this horse.
0: Right. <laughs> it's like, you know. That, right, exactly. And if it is your first rodeo, it takes you longer before you're like, something's wrong with this horse.
1: <laughs> yeah. And that was my experience, too, is that my first kid was was about four when when they were first identified. But the thing was that I was still trying so hard to make it normal that I was I was in my own denial for years. Yes. Yes. Right. Even after a diagnosis, I was in denial. Like I was treating it. I was doing I was checking the boxes, but I wasn't really shifting my understanding or my way of being with it. And that's really what was, what the shift is.
0: Yes. That's interesting. So what was the difference in that for you? What was the, what's the, what was the difference between like, I've I've got the diagnosis, I accept that this is what's going on or, you know, to some level, right. If you're in treatment and you're working with it to the, the other level of acceptance, like what's the difference
1: there? Well, so I think in the early years I was in a fix it mode right it was like oh here's a problem what do i need to do to fix it here's the list of recommendations check vision therapy check occupational therapy let me go take this like let me let me check into brain training let me like like a pinball machine right let me try all these different things oh. let me do a nutritionist let me do a, a i mean i cannot tell you all the different things i tried in those early years because i was trying to to make it okay Right. right To keep bringing it back to how can I make this normal? How can I make this fit into a box? And it wasn't until I, so the shift went from being the fix-it parent to, to really understanding what was going on and shifting my expectations to meet my kid where they were, kids mm-hmm. where they were, mm-hmm. instead of trying to fit them into some mold everybody else had for them. Yes, And that was the real shift. And I remember actually vividly, my eldest kid was eight. And I was talking to a, f- a very, very dear friend, one of my best friends is therapist. And they were then by this point, they were struggling both socially and in school. And and I looked at him in tears. I'm like, what do I do? Where do I start? I have like eight diagnoses. Right. And, and he said, when it entered, when, when you're dealing with both school and life, that's when you really got to shift your approach. You got to do something different.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And for us, it was a combination of things. It, part of it was the therapist said, go metabolic, go look and see what's going on with the body. And so we, we did actually discover a gluten intolerance that was hugely impactful for us. Uh-huh. I am not saying that that's a panacea for everybody. No, In we
0: tried kids. it. I mean, we tried
1: no, no difference whatsoever. <laughs> right, one kid, yes, one kid, no. So, right. but for this one kid, there was definitely a nutritional thing that was going on. And then as I began to get support from me and coaching for me, that was the real shift because it was about changing my way of being with it. Yes. Instead of trying to fix it, fix it, I had to understand it so I could learn to be with it and manage it, and that's the shift. I,
0: and I got to tell you, Elaine, when you talk about like the vision therapy and the OT and the like, all of the things, I just had like a like trauma response to a it. visceral reaction, a right? Visceral <laughs> response because I just remember all of those, and I think about this poor little kid. Right. this little kid that we are dragging around every fucking day every week to some new specialist to try to quote fix them <laughs> okay. and what kind uh, you know I'm like this horror about like what kind of damage just that does to right. them right and and I'm not saying that you know, because you hear from people who are like, "Vision therapy changed everything," or you know, the gluten intolerance changed everything. You're like all of, and so you're like, "Oh, okay," you know. And I'll try this now. Oh, I'll oh. try it because it's going to be the thing. And you know, what's worse about this is that we had this experience with, and I and I I am curious about your um, thoughts on this. With because my son was had ex, extreme colic. Like Ooh, me too. So did mine. Yes, which they they definitely are linked, right? I don't know if if there's been a lot of studies done on it, but there's this correlation, right? Because it is a it is a you know sensitivity to input, whatever my brain isn't stimulation, Thank yeah, you. yeah. And you know we'd gone through the have you tried and have you tried and oh my kid my my son had colic and this worked for us and this right we'd already been been through that and none of it worked. <laughs> yeah. right? and we sort of bought into it the second time around and it's, Oh God, it just breaks my, breaks my soul.
1: You know, I, I'm so there with you. I, I knew that I had a quirky complex kid at two weeks. I am not exaggerating. And, and it was, and this kid was 10, eight to 10 before I started really shifting and getting the help I really needed. And that's not to say that I'm sure there was a value to vision therapy. I know there was a value to occupational therapy. Uh Like I'm, I'm a true believer in OT. Yeah. But it's not a solution. It's not a panacea. Right. and and we tend as parents because we don't know any better we're just looking for a fix yeah. something to make it better or go away we want our kid to not be hurting yes and yes. and so we're looking for something and and everybody's selling us answers they're selling us snake oil and telling us it's going to be a fix and and the truth is that we're talking about you know behavior management and behavior management takes time and effort it's, yeah. it's not simple. It's not, actually it is simple. It's not easy,
0: yeah, but it's, it's quite
1: simple. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't, <laughs> it's, it's you like
1: you would take, you take aim on one thing, you work it, you come up with a plan, you tweak it, you modify the plan, you try it again. Like yeah. it's not complicated. It's just not easy to do. That's true. That's right. That's
0: right. And I think that, you know, I just remember for me, coming to terms with certain things, coming Mm -hmm. to terms that I'll never forget. There was one day where I was at uh, the container store Mm -hmm. and I was in line with him. I I had brought him with me because, and I kept doing this. I kept bringing him to the grocery store. (laughs) Right, like- I kept bringing him to the grocery store because it was important, right? I shouldn't do the grocery shopping when he's in school. I should take him grocery shopping because he needs to understand and he needs to learn about grocery money and like whatever, it's a, you know- and, uh, and, and the, I should be able to take my kid to
1: the grocery store. And I should store. be able to take my fucking child to the grocery store. Right. right? a parent, a good parent would do, be able to do that. Yeah.
0: And the moment I realized he was, we were at the container store and he was climbing on, <laughs> like, you know, but my, my son's ADHD manifests primarily in hyperactivity, his hyperactivity is off the charts that the, the kid can never stop moving ever. Mm-hmm. Yep. He would watch TV, like flipping up and upside down and then doing a yep. handstand and like the, the couch cushions all over the house. Right. Yep. And it was that moment of him, like climbing up and all the people in line looking at me, like, why can't you fucking control your child? And it was yep. that dawning realization in that moment of, I don't oh. have a kid I can take to the store.
1: Yeah. And that's, that's a hard thing to come to terms with. Like it, it takes some time to get there. It does. And it's, and it's painful and it's shameful.
0: And it's also like, what if I just stop trying to take him to the fucking store?
1: <laughs> <laughs> stop going out to dinner without something for them to do. Like, how hard is this? I know, right. but, we, but we get caught up in these shoulds. We let other people should all over us and we should all over ourselves.
0: Yes, absolutely. Right. So I, I want to talk, cause I was also doing this across two households. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> so you have, you know, you're trying to create these structures and you're, you're finding what works in your house and then you're sending them off to another house and like trying to communicate this. And I mean, for, for first of all, we talked about like this causing more friction in relationships. So
1: yeah. is divorce more common in yes. families where this is an issue? Absolutely. hundred percent by, by multifold, significantly wow. more common. Yes.
0: And do you, is that because, I mean, you may not know this specifically or scientifically, but you probably know this from, you know, anecdotally at the least. Is it because of differing parenting styles? Is it because of the stress? Is it like, what, why,
1: why is it? So I think there, there are kind of t- a few layers. One layer is there's a lot of divorce because you got one parent who has it who, and another parent who doesn't. and mm-hmm. And they don't understand what the parent who has it is dealing with. And so the parent who doesn't have it is frustrated and annoyed and taking it personally and feeling like this, they can't rely on, on, I'm going to just say that it's a woman and a man. It could be either way. Right. But she's feeling like I can't rely on him and he's not delivering and he's not taking care of the family and he doesn't do what I ask him to do. And if he loved me, he would X, Y, Z. And so she's feeling all of the, the burden. And this was my story in my relationship. Um, I, there was a lot of everything landed on me. Yeah, manage everything. Now I'm in an ADHD plus plus household. So my husband and I both have ADHD, mm-hmm. but we didn't know it in those early years. And sure. since his is worse than mine, everything landed on me and okay. I was getting more and more and more resentful because he wasn't carrying his weight. Yeah. So that's one dynamic is when one of the adults has a, some kind of a condition that's not being treated, right. recognized treated, whether it's ADHD, depression, anxiety, whatever. Mm-hmm. The other is when you've got a kid who's got these issues and you have different ideas of either whether the issue is even real or not, oh. because that's one big issue is Huge. you've got one person who sees it as a problem and the other who's like, there's nothing wrong with him.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: What's, you know, there's, he's not, no, you can't coddle him. There's nothing that, you know, you can't prepare him for adulthood. He's never going to be able to do this in the work environment. Medicine and so not, is the, de- like, you know, medicating right. kids is right. over prescribed. It's like all of that shit. Mm-hmm. Right. So you got, you've got, sometimes you've got one parent who is in denial of the, of the issue and the other who sees it and is trying to treat it. And then sometimes I think that third thing is is you just have very differing parenting styles. If you've got an authoritarian parent and authoritative parent, whichever, or a collaborative parent and authoritative, you're going to run into some conflicts because one of those works really well with these kids and the other doesn't. Right. 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 So yeah. these are kids who are already dealing with struggles with self-management, self-regulation, and self-control. So adding a control dynamic on top of it isn't very effective because they're already feeling out of control
0: oh my god can you say that again and a lot louder so that maybe my ex- husband can hear it
1: <laughs> well I mean it, it's counterintuitive right, right on one we're level really out of control
0: right so, so like, you think you should control
1: them oh, and right. that's what we do is we think we should control them but what's happening is because they are out of control they're desperately seeking control wherever they can yeah. And so that ends up being pushing back against us, especially against authority. And a lot of kids with ADHD happen to have some issues with authority anyway.
0: <laughs> I so have no idea it, what, you're talking what you're
1: talking about. about right? <laughs> but so that's, there's this, it's all about control mm-hmm. ultimately at mm-hmm. the end of the day. And if we can understand that this is about control and that our job is to transfer control instead of controlling. Yeah that's the shift as a parent but it's that's it's hard for a lot of us to do even if we understand it so transfer control meaning actually
0: empowering the child to find control where they
1: can and in ways that 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 make them feel good right i mean right. that was incrementally so- Right. It's looking you're looking for little successes because successes breed more successes. Right. So if you can build an environment where you your kid begins to see, well, oh, I could do this well. Now I can try this. Now I can try this, incremental change is way more effective. But we have this tendency to look and say, Well, we want you to shift from this to that. Well, what are the steps to get from this to that? Because if we could celebrate like the example I use, I know this sounds silly, but if instead of Did you put your dish in the dishwasher, right? What if it's first you acknowledge them for clearing the plate, then you get them to get it in the sink, then you get them to get it into the dishwasher, then you get them to do it properly in the dishwasher. Right. Right.
0: I remember when my son was little, right? My, like, we're just talking about like setting the table, right? And my, even my my mother was like, well, I taught him how to set the table. And that is a multi-step
1: process. You showed him how to set the table. It's it different a, from teaching him. That's exactly what I said. I said, mm-hmm. because she said, well, I don't, you know, and, and
0: my ex was like, I don't know why he can't set the table. I taught him, I sh- you know, I showed him how to do it. And I was like, you did show him how to do it, but you didn't teach him how to do it. And that is a complex multi-step process. And he's like seven or eight. With right. extreme ADHD, I said, "You're not. How about we maybe you should draw a chart of what a set table looks like and put it in the dining room? If like, if this is a really important thing, this is what we were doing across across households, by the way. If this right. is an really important thing for you in your household because it wasn't in mine, right? Then, like, maybe put a picture of what a set table looks like on the wall and have help him refer
1: to it because." Mm-hmm.
0: There's like a lot of shit that goes on a table to set up for a kid who's got, you know, attention issues.
1: And then working memory, remembering what goes next to what and what order, because my husband's kind of a stickler for like, you have to have the full complement of silverware. And I'm kind of like, do we need anything more than a spoon tonight? (laughs) It's soup. Why do we
0: need a fork and a knife? Why do I need a fork and a
1: knife? (laughs) Yeah. But if you expect the whole enchilada, then you gotta, you know, you, you want have to find the crystal and the, in China, then, you know, <laughs> right. You have, well, to- you know, it's funny, Kate, that's, that's the world I grew up in. So I was raised in a proper home, maybe not uh-huh. with crystal in China, but in a proper home where you sat up properly at the table, you came dressed to the table. You weren't, you know, always had to have shirts or whatever. And you literally like, it was about, you had to sit nicely at the table and engage in conversation and in hindsight, that was a crazy expectation for my d- family. One of my brothers was diagnosed early with what was called minimal brain dysfunction before it was called ADHD. I don't know if oh you know that, God. but <gasps> the other two of us were not ever diagnosed, but you know, yeah. we're like, it was everything we could do to sit. Right. And when you're so c- trying so hard to sit and be good, you can't really engage in an interesting conversation because all you can do is try to sit and not, not let them see you feeding the dog under the table i mean that yeah but that's how i was raised in a very proper environment so it took me a while to overcome that expectation yeah so that to give and this i talk about in the, in the book is is to give myself permission to create the family dynamic that i wanted that met them instead of trying to hold them to some standard that i had been raised with because i thought that's what a parent should do
0: yes yes um i had similar my mom's british right so everything is you know dinner with the queen is the, that's the standard. And it's a wonder I was able to comply. I think that my, I don't know about you, but of course it was my, so my ex is clearly ADHD, clearly like on his forehead. Absolutely. Right. And so when Emma was diagnosed, it was like, yeah, of course. Right. No kidding. Right. And it was about three years later that I was going through some paperwork because of course it did all fall to me. Right. And I was like, huh. I texted him. I was like, honey, I think I might have it. And he (laughs) laughed so hard. He was like, are you shitting me? He's like, of course you have (laughs) it. I was like, wait, you knew? And he was like, you didn't. And it was because mine is so different, differently presenting, right? Because I don't hyperactivity, and they share the hyperactivity, it was just like, oh, that's a you problem. That's your genes. And he's like, no, baby, that's your genes too. Yeah. (laughs) He's like, oh, man.
1: I remember going to my daughter's psychiatrist and I said, could I have it too? And she said, literally, no, honey, you're just a mom. And so it was probably another couple of years after that before I finally had myself evaluated. And the only reason I did was because I was trying to go back to graduate school. And I was trying to figure out why I had had such a hard time and such a hadn't taken the GREs. And by this point, all of my kids right. have been diagnosed. And so it was like he cannot be responsible for all of this neurology. Oh, no, right.
0: There's just, Not as much <laughs> as just <laughs> like no to blame way. Him for it, you know?
1: <laughs> yeah. by that point, it was like couldn't do. And so I was diagnosed with both attention and learning issues wow. at 40 years old. Right. Because because that was the other thing. My middle kid had been diagnosed with dyslexia and it's a hundred percent hereditary. Oh, interesting. So it's like, okay, well it's one of us. And it made and 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 because I'm a writer, nobody ever thought I had dyslexia. But I, it made all this stuff make sense because it's not your classic. It's a it's a reading challenge. So I always had trouble reading, but I could write because I had right. learned to write or whatever. And I had terrible working memory, so I could write and not have to take tests in college. So I really, really cultivated my writing, so I didn't have to remember stuff.
0: Yeah, we accommodate
1: right. as adults in all right. kinds we of do. Ways, well, Right. We do.
0: And so, and it's interesting, right. That like the way that you accommodate and you learn, this is what we need to provide for our kids is the space for them to accommodate and learn like what works for you. You know, my, my son still right. his handwriting
1: is like, he's like a three-year-old. But every, all the kids now.
0: Yeah. But you put him in front of a computer and, and he writes beautifully, like it's unbelievable, the stuff that comes out of him. Okay. I want to, I want to sort of like, we could talk, we could talk about (laughs) the, you know, ADHD till we're blue in the face, but I also want to talk about the, the co-parenting and the the crazy making that it can have about what are some special circumstances that, that need to be considered when co-parenting across different houses, when you've got such, like, I know that you know, my ex and I have a really good working relationship, and frankly, I think that we had to because of this. Um, we were both just like okay, but I know that that is not everybody does. Yeah. Everybody. So how do, how do how do you how do people deal with this when you've got two different households, which is complicated when you're trying to create structure, yeah, in a in a kid, and then they're like going to a different house.
1: If I may, before I before I address that, I want to pull back to say there are a lot of parents that are trying to figure out how to co-parent in the same household. Yeah, right, <laughs> right. But I just want to acknowledge that reality. And sometimes they're pre-separation, or they're even separated and living in the same home. Yes. Yep. Or sometimes, so I just want to acknowledge that this is not just you know this again. This starts before you get to the two separate households. Yep. Yep, okay. absolutely. No. Nope. And so we just, and, and there are a lot of parents who feel like they're single parenting long before they ever get divorced. Mm-hmm. So Hundred percent. A moment of acknowledgement for everybody listening that, you know, whatever wherever you are on this journey, mm-hmm. you are not alone.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, absolutely. And,
1: and I say this as someone who ended ended up not getting divorced, but it was close.
0: Yeah.
1: Right. And it was, it was because thankfully we found out early enough and we were, my husband was always doing the work and probably because I was so overwhelmed, I couldn't pursue a divorce on top of everything else, else, right? Right. There was a period of that.
0: You also have, but I also want to, want to acknowledge that you have a husband who is committed to his own process and personal development is also a coach, right?
1: This is not, you're not like a... You're not married well, he, to someone. He wasn't early on, right? Oh. Uh-huh. But what was what was what I always knew was that his intention was. So for those of you who are married to someone who's got these issues, and that's really the friction.
0: Mm.
1: And and actually, I have a client like this right now, and they they really do want to stay married, and they're trying to figure out do they do conscious uncoupling or da 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 what really needs to happen is the spouse who doesn't have it needs to take the time to understand what is going on for the spouse to so to give him space to do his work yeah so that's that i do want to say that there is there's a role for all of us in it and the reason we're still married is because i did give him the space to do his work and he was doing his work
0: yes and that's right? and that is key that he's actually doing the work yeah And I also want to, I know that we're, we're trying to get to the. No, we'll get there, but I think this is important. So. This is important because I, you know, one of the things that's really interesting about, about that is that, especially when you have a kid who has some of the same traits as that, as that partner, you know, you think you're divorcing that, right. But then you got it in your kids. So doing the work on yourself to allow that space for another human being to be on their journey is important it could save your marriage. It'll mm-hmm. definitely help your relationship with your kid, right? So, hundred so percent. You can't just be like, "Well, I can't deal with this, so I'm divorcing him." Because guess what?
1: Right, <laughs> you're still living with you.
0: You're you still got it in this form of this child that
1: you made together, yeah. Right, whom you really want to empower to become able to manage it. So you got to understand it well enough to help them learn to manage it.
0: Exactly. Right?
1: Yes. Definitely. So if you're lucky enough to do that while you're still Spouses, great. If, if if you get to that point where you're co- separately habiting, I guess is the word. The the opportunity is to embrace structure, but don't let it become the a controller.
0: Mm.
1: So we have this tendency. There's one thing about leaning into structure. There's another about letting it become. I'm not coming with the right word, but giving giving away, surrendering our, our ourselves to it, like yes. this. Structure is a vehicle to help us achieve what we want to achieve. It's not the goal in and of itself. And this is where I think we we mess up in the ADD world in particular, executive function world. Let me broaden it. Uh Most is that, or in a lot of issues actually around parenting, is that we start with the end. We start with the structure, right? You know, Stephen Covey says, start with the end in mind. He doesn't say start with the end solution. Right. 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 He says, start with the end in mind. What do you want to achieve? Uh And then the goal is to work through a process of figuring out what system or structure will help you achieve that. Got it. It's very likely going to be different in one household than another because of where the dishes are kept or where the backpack is kept or where, right? How many people are in the house? Or how many, right.
0: There's only me and my son in my house, at his house, at his dad's house, there's five of them. There's three kids and, a, and right. a new wife and like so everything it's different
1: a whole different right, right. and so we we want to be careful not to let the structure become the goal in and of itself the structure is a, it's a tool it's a vehicle yes. and and it's kind of like saying okay i'm going to give a medication and we're going to fix this thing it doesn't work that way medication is a tool yeah behavior management is a tool structures are a tool All of these are ways that we learn to manage ourselves and navigate life effectively. But, but we want to make sure to not surrender, to, to let the, to shift out what's the real goal here. What's really important here. So if you're dealing with, you know, he makes his bed at one house and he doesn't make his bed at the other house. Right. Well, how important is it really that he make his bed? Is he making his bed because There's some moral success there or is he making bed because that particular house thinks it's important. Right. So if he makes his bed there and he doesn't make his bed at this place and the parents okay with it, that's fine. Yeah, totally. Right. Mm -hmm. Because that the parents you choose where you take aim, you choose what's important for you to focus on as a parent. And, you know, we were talking about the formal dinner table. Some of us care about whether the table's set. Some of us some of us don't. Right. And so each house is going to have different expectations. And what's more important is that we get clear on that and that the kid gets clearer. Because that's probably one of the biggest confusions with younger kids, right? Is they go back and forth and it's like, wait a minute, where am I supposed to do this? Where is it important for me to do that? Yeah, right. Am I going to get in trouble for turning on the light here? Am I, <laughs> you know,
0: like... I said to my son the other day, he like cooked something in a, in a, in a pan and he left, it was all like gooey and black or whatever. And I was like, honey, you need to fill the pan and, and let it, it was like a grilled cheese or something. And I was like, you need to let it soak. And he's like, but daddy yelled at me for doing that. Right. Exactly. Perfect example. Okay. Right. I said, honey, you've got to load the dishwasher with the, with the, with the fork tines up. No, they do it. fork tines down. And, he, or, or right. You, yeah. You got to do it up. And at dad's house, you have to do it down. And right. then I called dad and I was like, dad, you do the, you do it wrong. Look, it says in consumer reports that you, have, <laughs> right. And I was just like half joking with him, but I was like, you're doing it wrong. Your favorite magazine tells you. And he's like, oh, I know, honey. He's like, but the way that our dishwasher works and the way that our, our silverware <laughs> balances, we don't have a choice. We have to do it down. Right. And so, but like, this is this poor kid.
1: And he's got a working memory issue and he doesn't remember, right? And so we we have to, on the one hand, we have to be clear, but on the other hand, we have to be a little, a little flexible here. Like I I talk about, we we teach this concept called flexible structure. Mm -hmm. So think about a bridge, right? The only way that a bridge stays up is if it's got some movement in it. Right. Right. It cannot be rigid or it will collapse. It's gotta be able to move with the water under it or the air that goes through Wind, it or whatever. Whatever. Right? Yeah, a right. Building a bridge, any structure like that has to have flexibility to make the st- structure have integrity. Right. And it's the same way with our kids. We have to be flexible enough to say, wow, he's having a bad day. I'm just going to clear that plate for him today. Right. Mm-hmm. Or or he he. That's how he does does it at his dad's house, or you know, whatever it is, whatever. And that's not being permissive; it's being realistic. Yeah. It's allowing people to be human, yeah. not pick point picking out every single mistake that they. You know, it's like, please, just like let's let's focus on what's important, and trust that the other stuff will will come along over yeah. time. Yeah, I I was thinking about so this this client keeps coming to mind in our conversation, which is really interesting because the client from many many years ago, she was the one. She's the one who said it's not my first rodeo. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Mm -hmm. she had an older daughter who was on her own, like 24 years old and living in the world. She had a 12 year old with ADHD adopted daughter who was not on her own, and and she was she she came to me because she realized she was waiting for her daughter to hit 18. And that was not how she wanted to spend the next six that's years. So sad. Yeah. Totally. And, and she's the one who said to me, the beauty of doing this work with me was that her daughter got to be a kid. And she mm-hmm. stopped dragging around from appointment to appointment. Right. As right. you were saying earlier. Right? Totally. So that's why she keeps coming up in my mind. Yeah. One coaching session, I remember we're talking, she was totally freaking out because this 12-year-old girl was eating potato chips on the floor in the family room watching television. And when she got up and she left, there were crumbs on the floor. And so the mom catastrophized that when she's 24 years old and she has an apartment, she's trying to share with a friend. She's not going to be able to have an apartment mate or take care of anything when she's an adult because (laughs) she was leaving crumbs on the floor. Now, on the one hand, it's ridiculous, but on the other hand, you can see how it happened. Her older daughter had been kind of tidy, yeah. and so then she had this really hyperactive 12-year-old kid. And so it was that conversation about, okay, what's really important here, right? What's really important here is that she, maybe it's about focusing on looking around and seeing what your your wake is before you leave a room, because, mm-hmm. you know, we mm-hmm. people with ADD, many of us leave a wake behind us wherever we go, Right. My living room, my couch is just right. that every day. <laughs> so, so it, it's not important. What's important. What's, in, this is really awkward to say. What really matters is that you choose one thing to be important at a time and not try to do everything. Right. Because that'll make everyone crazy. Yes. Right. Right. Yourself included. So we call it taking aim, but if you, if you take aim on one thing at a time, and it's like, okay, if you really care about the crumbs, then make that the place you're taking aim. But don't focus on the crumbs and the homework station and, you know, getting, making sure she's got what she needs for soccer. And, like, choose one for her to take independence on, and you keep scaffolding the rest and then keep adding to it incrementally. But try not to take aim on everything. You know, this is a marathon here.
0: Yes. I think you probably told me that in, in a conversation many years ago, or I read it and that was really, really, really helpful Mm -hmm. because, you know, I remember, Oh God, social media. Right. I was at some point, I I mean, Emmett was like, I don't know, he's 15 now. He was probably 11 or 12 or something or even 13. I don't know. But I was saying something about, I, I made a post about something about making him lunch while I was making him lunch, blah 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 blah, and the comments in the right all the were parenting, so, police the parenting police jumped in. Parenting police jumped in was like <laughs> he's old enough to be making his own damn lunch. Well, like, <laughs> why, why are you making his lunch? And why are you? And I was so angry. And you know, my response was because I was when when you have a kid with any any form of special needs, you are taking aim at things that other parents. don't have to deal with. And so I was dealing with such bigger issues at the time that you were teaching your kid to be making lunch. I was dealing with the fact that I had a kid who couldn't sit in still in school and was diving into pillows and disrupting the classroom every single day. And like, like, that's what I was
1: dealing with. So if I was also trying to get him to make his lunch, like, oh, good Lord. Please. I know. So so my favorite version of this story, because we, I think we probably all have one. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. My favorite version was older. My eldest was 18, 19, maybe 20 by this point. The long story short, we were trying to help them buy a car. Mm-hmm. Uh And I don't know about you, but one of the most stressful things in my life is trying to buy a car. Freaks me out. Like that in a house. Like that's just, I don't understand it. It's overwhelming. Stresses me out. Totally. And so we were exploring trying to do it in another state. Long story short, I reached out to a family member for help. I asked for help. Okay. And what I got back was, shouldn't she be doing this on her own? Now, this is my actor kid who lives in another state, right? Who is like has ex- very whose executive function is much better now than it was then. Let's just yeah. say he's very. Um, he's done a lot of work. is very talented. is doing some amazing stuff in the world, and it's and it's very. It's hard to be them. Yep. Right. Yeah. And they have a lot of issues that that they struggle with, and they work hard to manage, and they're pretty public about it, and they're amazing. Yep. yep. And buying a car on top of trying to move an apartment and get a gig where they were moving to another city. And like, there was all this stuff going on and I just was trying to find out what do you know? Like, it was a really innocent question. And I was trying to like, it was kind of an olive branch kind of question, which I got <laughs> smacked out of my hand. Oh. So I wrote, I wrote an article called bless her heart. She just doesn't understand. Yeah. And I would recommend it to anybody who deals with family members who may not be as accepting or maybe, or friends or family members who may be a little more judgmental of the choices you're making. It's called bless her heart. And I, and I do mean that in a Southern way. Right, right. I'm gonna uh, email. Find the link and that, share it. Yeah, because yeah. Yeah, I, I want to put that in
0: the show notes for sure. Yeah. It,
1: it's really like still to this day, I think about that. And this was many years ago now. It's probably six or seven years ago. But it it was such a telling indication of, you know what? Sometimes people just aren't going to ever get it. Right. And, and our job is to figure out how to not care. Yeah. And, and I think my super fat power has been learning to not take it personally. Right. Because, and that's hard because it does, yeah. you know, I will say
0: that as a mom raising a, a kid in this, with this, you know, you're always feeling like you're failing. You're always feeling like you're behind the eight ball. You're always feeling, you know, all these you're things judged. You're judged. You're criticized. Your inner critic is going absolutely crazy. And then when someone on the outside, when people say stuff like that to me, like, "Shouldn't he be able to make his own lunch by now?" My first gut response is, <laughs> "I, uh, I guess he should." Shit, shit, I failed. <laughs> what did I do wrong? Right, I failed. Right, yeah. and then it's like my second, third, like you know, down the line is, wait a minute, I was dealing with other shit.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? and you were.
0: But right. It's like, I don't know. Should my, should, should they be able to buy a car by themselves at this
1: age? Oh my God. Right. Like I I don't buy a car without getting help. (laughs) Like still. And and, you know what? I I think on some level where that my response was to turn that (gasps) to, to laughter. Like I started laughing at it because it became comical to me. It's like, you just don't get it. You just don't understand what we're dealing with over here. And, and this is, And I used to cry about that a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And part of what happened for me on the coaching journey, and part of it was probably that my husband and I began to understand it with each other differently. And that helped a lot. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. you can, and as you and your co-parent have, right. Like when you can find that path and not everybody gets to that point, I get that. But, but letting go, you got enough of your own, inner critic judgment stuff going on, you don't need anybody else's. I do not need anyone
0: else's inner critics. Thank you very much.
1: (laughs) But that's really what it is, is recognizing it and, and finding that place that way to compartmentalize it. For me, it's with humor, but you know, whatever that is for you, because when you're taking other people's shoulds, Mm -hmm. it's just beating you down and it's not helping you help your kid because they're going to get the same should right they're going to feel the same judgment absolutely absolutely so what ha- what do you say
0: to clients where the that that critic is coming from your co-parent when you're it, co-parenting yeah. with someone who is all about the behaviors or is domineering or controlling like how 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 do you do that how do you help your kid
1: so i think that what happens is at some point your role shifts to becoming one of helping your child learn to navigate their relationship with their other parent. Yes. You are not going to change that other parent. You are not going to control it. And, and I was just talking about this with a client yesterday who's going through a very, very difficult divorce Mm -hmm. because I watched a couple of very dear friends go through some very difficult divorces. Mm -hmm. And I, and over the years, I mean, we've been together for years through this and And in both situations, the most difficult part has been having to come to the acceptance that you can't control what your co-parent is going to do or the decisions they're going to make. And sometimes you do have to make the best possible decision in the context of what's available to you. And no, it may not be the best decision for your child, according to you. Yeah. But, you know, this one co-parent, she's like, well, I made the decision to let him do this because if I do that, then he's not going to fight me on that, and that's more important.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And yes. and
1: so you are constantly thinking through negotiating and then making the best choice you can. And it's not always going to be the best one you would make. And you're coming to terms with that is, I think, probably the hardest part of co-parenting in a divorce, and the most important yep. part. The, the best gift you can give your child. Yes, and, and the and the sort of bringing it back to that is being. Able to support your child in being in relationship with their with their other parent without judging that other parent, even when you disagree with them, is probably the hardest part. Is how do I stay out of judgment and be matter of fact, but still be clear? This is what you're dealing with. No, he made. Dis- I know you're disappointed that he didn't show up when he said he was gonna, and I'm so sorry, and that's so hard to deal with, without making it. This is what he does all the time, and I can't believe he did it again. And right like is to be able to be there for your kid without going to that reactive place you want to go to about the choice they made. Is that too circular? Or is that? no? Nope. I think It is. I like, I just
0: want you to say it all again so that everyone can fucking <laughs> hear it because that's, you know, everyone rewind, hit the, hit the back, the back yeah. button on the, on your, on your podcast.
1: Well, whatever. it's sort of the bottom line of it is two things. One is you have to find a way of being with the decisions your co-parent makes that you disagree with. And two, you have to support your child in being in relationship with their parent without judgment.
0: Y'all, that is like, seriously, that is the, you know, if I could distill how to co-parent in divorce, (laughs) ADHD or not, that's it and you know i'll also highlight that you don't get to there's there's sometimes there can be some like mom privilege where like well i'm the mom and my ch- it's best for my child to stay in one house or it's best for my kid to be with me because obviously consistency is the most important thing everyone always says that consistency is the most important thing consistency is the most important thing and you don't get to do that you don't get to use this as a as a weapon against your co-parent, you don't get to use it as an excuse or, to, you know, reason to keep them in, what right? You have
1: to actually learn to deal with it. You have to That's right. It's self-management. That's right. You have to, and you don't have to like it to accept it, it. Yes. Right. You don't have to agree with it to accept it. In fact, you have to be clear what you do and don't agree with. And that doesn't change that when you get to a point where you're co-parenting, And this is true, even if you're cohabiting and co-parenting, let's Uh be honest, right? We cannot control this other human being who happens to be the parent of this child, no matter how much we want. Absolutely. Yep. And so we have to, sometimes they're going to do it a way you don't agree. When they're enrolling you to do it their way and you don't agree, that's a different conversation. Right.
0: Right? And you can say, right. And you can say, you know. Support this. I I can't support this. I disagree, whatever. But you don't then get to turn around and do the same to them. Exactly.
1: I had this really strong memory of my husband would get really upset. This is early. And he'd get really upset that I wasn't supporting him in something. And I finally looked at him and I'm like, I'm not going to counter you on this, but I am not going to come to your aid to something I totally disagree with. I'm not going to, I'm not going to take that. I will, I will stay neutral. Uh Uh-huh. Right. I can promise you to stay neutral. Right. Like but I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to I'm not going to do that if I if I fundamentally disagree with how you're handling something. And that's a hard place to be in navigating a relationship. I I think you're absolutely right, right?
0: And I think that when you're co-parenting, you know, there's this whole idea that we have to the unified front thing, mm-hmm. right? We have to present a unified front. No, we don't actually, right? We we can we can, we should not present a, a a fractured, maybe a fractured front or but it doesn't have to be wholly unified all the time. Well, it doesn't have to be the same,
1: mm-hmm. right? Yes. You don't have to right. have the same. You just, yes. you just, you have to find that detente. It's, it's, I went to a workshop today where she was talking about polarity versus polarization, hmm. right? And yeah. And I think that's a great metaphor in a way for, for what happens in a divorced environment, right? Like we start off often with kind of this polarization. We're on opposite teams. We're, yeah. Unfortunately, we're not collaborating necessarily to, to find the separation. But the question is, can you create some sense where you, there's a polarity, there are differences, but we can be different with respect of each other. Yes. I love that. That's really what we're it. looking for, I think.
0: And I think that's what you're looking for in divorce entirely. Exactly. Right. I mean, we're, when it, when you don't agree, when you can't be, that's exactly right. I love that. I love that distinction.
1: Well, and so here's what's coming up. Just as you're saying that, I'm thinking about this client who, who's going through a really, really, really difficult, bad divorce. Mm-hmm. And and in part, now I get that I have one perspective because I've been supporting one person through this, right? Yep. But, and yep. saw it coming long before it came and all that. But sometimes, and this happens in the ADHD community, I've seen it happen several times, when you have a spouse who is effectively gaslighting. hmm oftentimes that adult has their own issues and they're in denial of it. I've seen that happen quite a few times. Yeah. And you end up with this dynamic where the, the, often the mother, not always, but often the mother has been completely disenfranchised, robbed of, of any sort of entitlement in the family, no yeah. money, no like, mm-hmm. you know, like no kids, no nothing. I don't know how you find the detente when, when the other person is completely irrational.
0: Yes. And when there's alienation, that is a whole right. other conversation. Alienation exactly. is, you know, I've done podcast episodes on that. Like
1: that's a whole other situation. <laughs> that's not right. what we're good. Talking about. So so if right. that's yeah. your situation, go listen to those other podcasts. Because I right. don't want I, I do want to acknowledge that that there we are assuming some level yes. of rational behavior here.
0: Yes. That's actually right? very important. Yes, that's an
1: important distinction.
0: Very important. We're not
1: talking about a psychologically uh, like uh, about a, a, um, what's we're not talking word? about abuse.
0: We're not talking about right. abuse. We're not talking about manipulation. We're not talking about coercion. We're just talking about disagreement,
1: yeah. <laughs> right? Thank you.
0: which is different. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. Elaine, I literally think we could talk about this all day <laughs> and that would be fun, but yeah. So tell people where they can find you and more and not more importantly, but, and also importantly, your book.
1: I would love to. <laughs> so my book is called The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids with ADHD anxiety and more. And I really mm-hmm. want to emphasize the more because it really doesn't matter what makes your kid complex or your life complex. Right now I think it's a it should be called raising complex kids in complex times. <laughs> um, sorry, sorry. Right. <laughs> But so The Essential Guide to Raising Complex Kids, and its it was written to be the book that I needed when my kids were little and it didn't exist. I want it to be the general parenting book for those of us raising kids who don't fit in the typical boxes. So I really encourage you get it. I'm very, very happy with it. And people are loving it. it feels I'm great. excited. You just got your copy. I'm so Yes.
0: Excited. I just got my copy. So I didn't get to read it before we did the interview, but I have it and I will because... Well, and I was thinking, I, you know,
1: we've come so far since you were working with us and you're going to be amazed yeah. at how it's all yeah. come together. You're going to love it. So so that's the book and you can find us. And I, I think you're going to have a link so that people can download some bonus co- bonus content. Are we going to have that for you? Yep. yep. So, You'll get yeah. some some cool freebie stuff. There's some uh, content. It's mm-hmm. uh, so an article I wrote called Parenting the Pandemic, kind of the essential guide quarantine edition. So that will be useful for you, I suspect. And then another one yes. that's a little more tongue-in-cheek about three things not to say to parents of complex. And so there, that was kind of fun. Oh. That was written yes. before the pandemic, and then the pandemic came, and so I wrote another one for, you know, pandemic times. So. So definitely go <laughs> download that and get some, some great information and check out the book. And then you can find more from us at, at we, we have just expanded. So we are now impactparents.com. Oh, I don't know that you know this. Great. So Impact ADHD yeah. will continue to exist as a blog on Impact Parents as we'll, we will now have three blogs, Impact Anxiety, Impact ADHD, and Impact Complex Kids and a um, ton of original content really great robust resources there and then the, the parent company is now impact parents because we wanted to reflect the full range of parents that we're supporting with supporting not just parents and kids with adhd so impactparents.com go check it out It's a brand Wonderful. new site it's really exciting oh i'm excited
0: i'm super excited about that i'm gonna go check it out myself Elaine, thank you so much. I'm so happy um, to have had this conversation and I'm just so grateful for the work that you do personally (laughs) because it impacted me so much. But I think for everybody, it's just so important. So thank you so much. And thank you for writing this book.
1: My pleasure. And thank you for, for having me and for this wonderful conversation. It was great to reconnect. I really enjoyed it.
0: Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Divorce Survival Guide podcast.